Um, I want to just point out the fact that one of the things when we're talking about discrimination and everything, you know, I always have to be the one to say it, but when somebody speaks up, a lot of times they you would think that people of her race or other women would support her. Listen, one thing we got to learn is how to stand silent. Okay. You never know all the facts. You never know X, Y, and Z. But one of the things I think too, the reason why we get so much pushback is because people have so many opinions and they want to go off the deep end. She's in a situation, and a lot of times this happens to people who speak up, that they're put under public scrutiny. They are can't give all the details. It's still in current litigation. You know what I mean? But people will be quick to pass all kinds of judgment. And ironically, when this situation happened, I didn't know her. You know? But I stood by her. Because listen, I don't have no vested interest if she's, if she's, if it wasn't true, I don't have no vested interest. But if it is true, I do. And that's the one thing. If anybody can hear on the sound of my voice, we need to learn how to stand silently. Let it play out. If you don't agree, shut up and don't agree. You don't got to speak. Let it play out. Okay? But we need to stop making it harder for people and victims. That's why they don't want to come forward. Friends and comrades, hello from Highlands Bunker Studio. Rob here in the shadow of Rockford Tower, behind enemy lines in the belly of the Delaware Way Beast. This episode is produced in collaboration with the Delaware Call. The Delaware Call is our proud principality's leading progressive online magazine. You can find it at DelawareCall.com. Full crew this evening are our Kappa regimes, Brandywine Village Station Chief, Super Producer Carl, and the organizer who has our middle county on lockdown, the one and only Ty Greer. And our guest this evening is Flora McKendall. Flora is an activist and organizer. She is the president of the Central Delaware chapter of the NAACP. And I am happy to have her on Highlands Bunker podcast. Hello, Flora. Hello. Good evening. How are you? Good evening. I'm doing well. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you. How are you dealing with the weather down there? Is it? Did you get the same kind of uh, hit? We got some snow and ice in Wilmington about uh, maybe four or five inches maybe oh no we didn't get that much not quite ty what did we get like an inch or two but it's icy very very icy i didn't even know it snowed until about two hours ago <laughs> so ty, do you have do you even look out the window you don't even give yourself time to look out the window i didn't have time to look out the window i looked at the window like five o'clock i'm like oh it snowed <laughs> <laughs> so uh fleur where did you grow up what was it like um what uh, I'm always interested in ways that people's sort of rearing and so where they're from and, and how they grew up, how it instructs and sort of informs their life, but also how it leads people to sort of activism and organizing and advocacy. Um, so, yeah, where where did you grow up? What was it? What was it like? Absolutely. So I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, and in New Jersey, we say Newark. So it's one syllable. In Delaware, it's Newark. So when I say it, people are like, what is that? And it's spelled the same exact way. But anyhow, it's Newark, New Jersey, a.k.a. Brick City. Um, and it's about two and a half hours from here. A very urban feel. Um, and I just grew up from, um, from, from I guess, a grasshopper to uh, a squirrel. I literally grew up with a family of activists and prayer warriors. So I'm in the middle of that mix. If you can kind of envision what that would look like. And so between activism and church, that was my rearing. And um, I've always had a big mouth and a big voice and uh, spoke out and promoted and advocated for folks. And um, it just led me to where I am today. I am still that fiery young lady that just can't let things go. My moral compass just doesn't allow me to remain quiet when uh, things are at disarray for many people. And um, that's just who I am. Yeah, Newark um, has a, a, a huge sort of uh, leftist uh, activist history, uh, both um, from religious and secular and black power and all of that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So that, how were, were you now Did you did you move to Delaware as, as an adult 
uh, or and did you do you spend some like some of your adult time in Newark as well? Oh yeah, I just moved to Delaware about 13 years ago, so I was um, in my mid to late 20s um, when I moved here. And uh, yeah, Newark is going to always be a part of who I am. My father still lives there, aunts, cousins. So I would say at least once a month. Maybe a little more in the summer months. I'm in Jersey. I go there for my hair. Like there's still cultural things I just can't let go. That's my home. And so I go there quite a bit, quite a bit. Very, very cool. Um, so how uh, were, did you, were you uh, in organizations in Newark and you sort of carried that over or did you find sort of where you fit? Um, once you arrived here, how did that, how did that work? I'm always interested because we do, and as, as Ty knows, she could probably explain it even better. We do so much organizing through Network Delaware now, but it's all different. You know, we meet people where they are, sort of find places where they can help create projects, um, sort of like the Delaware call, create a project that somebody might want to work on. So I'm sort of interested in how you, um, what kind of stuff you were working on and how you sort of found that you could do um, that kind of work through the NAACP? Well, you know, interestingly enough, when I lived in New Jersey, um, all of my uh, activism uh, really, really stemmed from working in the church. We did um, building bridges and tearing down walls. We went into, um, you know, women's prisons. And, and this was before, obviously, a lot of the security things have taken place over the years, which has kind of prohibited us from being able to enter as many places. But we did a lot of outreach and education work um, within um, underserved uh, populations, but it wasn't with a social justice organization. I was doing it through my religious organization and um, my family, Tamika Mallory, who is a nationally renowned civil rights and social justice activist in New York. I would cross over the bridge and go hang out with her and do all kinds of work. And she would drag me out um, but my work really was a part of the church. And when I came to Delaware, um, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to amplify that a bit because it's, you know, in Delaware, it's really different. Um, needless to say, the culture is much different. I still haven't quite gotten used to it yet. And uh, uh, if you do, if you do get used to it, I have to say there's probably it's um, yeah, don't don't bother. It's not good. <laughs> We're trying to well, change it. So don't, 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 don't really I'm get, here. yes, exactly. <laughs> don't get used to how it is now because it is very strange and it seems like something no one wants to get involved in. So what we're going to yeah. do is change it all and yeah. then, then you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. There were some unfortunate circumstances. Um, for, for me, I work for the state by day and I also teach at Delaware uh, tech social sciences classes as an adjunct instructor. And so, um, some unfortunate circumstances for me, um, navigating some really challenging spaces within the state as an African-American younger woman navigating primarily white spaces and male-dominated spaces, um, you know, landed me in an issue at work. And I think that was about four years ago. And that really amplified and fueled my fire to really get to um, a place where I could be on the front lines trying to kind of dismantle the social constructs that continue to precipitate injustice towards people of color primarily. I mean, I can, I can channel my, my mentor and, and friend of the podcast, uh, the historian uh, Harvey JK, um, that nothing gets done without pressure. You know, a Philip Randolph and the labor organizing pressure got a lot done. You know, nothing, nothing is, you don't get anything without a threat. And, you know, the 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 significance of the threat and, and the and the acuteness of the threat will be dependent upon the situation. But, yeah, I mean, that has to be first. You know, you have to be able to organize around um, showing the powerful that you're a threat. I mean, that's just how it has to happen. It doesn't it can't. It, nothing happens if you don't do that. That's right. That's but, right. Uh, yeah. I want to talk about and I, don't, I actually don't know what Ty's background is. And 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 Carl and I have actually talked about this, and and you brought it up, and I'm 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 fascinated by it, and I'll tell you why. I I went through a bout of um, like atheism, but like intellectual atheism, like it became like a thing, but that I was. Um, it was a little bit weird, but like I I needed to sort of go through that for a couple of for a lot of different reasons. Um. And I still uh, don't have, you know, I'm still a secular person with no sort of religious, um, 
ritual or thing that I do. But over the last probably four or five years, I guess as I started to organize more, I started to see how um, how the church and how religious organizations and religious spirit uh, is a is a catalyst to the kind of work that we're doing. And I didn't realize that before. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about that uh, for yourself. And maybe Ty, I don't know what your, like I said, I'm not even sure what your background is. And even Carl can jump in because I know he likes to go UU on us. He loves to go Unitarian on us. But yeah, it's it's something that I've ju- like just in the, you know I, I'm starting to ev- to appreciate even more, and yeah, I just I wonder what your sort of what your take on it is. Ty, you want to go first because he needs to know about your background, honey. <laughs> he doesn't know. First of all, look, you gonna put me all the way left field, okay? First of all, we are gonna start with okay. So my second, I'm second generation immigrant. I don't even know what my dad's religion is. Let's start with my background. So technically, I'm a minister. Yeah, I didn't went to Bible college. You're, you're, are you a licensed minister? And I, I kind of sat my little robe down because I'm going to be honest with you, okay? So I'm anti-organized religion, meaning I can be in this space, but I feel like organized religion is what holds Black people back. That's my opinion across the board, okay? However, I told you I was, I'm a minister. And one thing that I felt like with outside of organized religion, I could reach people better. Because I don't have all these traditions and stuff. So see, I grew up depending, God saved my life. I did some crazy stuff. When I tell you, I was in a cave one time, and a cave exploded. These people were huffing gasoline. Me being a, I'm always asking questions. So I'm in. Wait, are we not gonna? Are we not gonna pause here and talk about the huffing gasoline? (laughs) Fucking. You're like, you're like, I went into a cave. The cave exploded. I'm like, okay. You're like, well, there was so, people huffing. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Go back up, back yeah. up, back up, right. So I'm, no, I'm you... also the person who married a drug dealer and was married, and the police had to tell me he was a drug dealer. So I'm, I've always been naive. So, um, <clears throat> so I'm in the cave, right? <laughs> Looking at stalactites and stalagmites. And I'm like, what's that smell? You know? <laughs> Long story short, right before they lit, I was like, you can't do that in a boom. So like, I'm running and there's like a fireball. Luckily, I was short, went over our heads. The fact that none of us died, the parents almost killed us later. But so it's like. So how I, old were you when this was going on? What's this for? Eight, nine, maybe. Jesus Another time God. I was nine? out. With, I thought yeah, you were going to say you were ocean. 20. No, I was, I, I was doing all kinds. That's why this is my point. Like, I know God exists. He didn't save me 90 times. Another time we were out in the ocean. When I say out, the, the tide had went out. We out there looking for starfish and eels and stuff, right? I turned and looked like this. It looked like the cars looked like they were this big and the tide was coming in. When I said we ran for our lives, okay, I'm in Japan. We would have been on Unsolved Mysteries, you know? So when I say that God has always, always saved me from my stupidity, um, so I know he exists. So that was my problem with going into organized religion. Because when I'm growing up with people who have religions like Santeria, because my mother's Hispanic, and X, Y, and Z, they didn't really push their religions on us because they felt like you had to develop into your spiritual thing. you know. And I just was on. I'm in Japan, eight, nine years old, catching buses to Maranatha Baptist Church and stuff. You know, Couldn't wait till I got older so I could sit on the front row in here, only to get older, read the Bible, and be like, y'all don't even believe this. You know, so reading the Bible was my downfall because I realized that I was the only person clearly in there that read it. And I was the only person who actually believed in it. So when you ask, that's what my background is. I'm going to turn it over to Floor because hers is probably more positive. Well, <laughs> well, let me just say this again. I have been in the church from, again, a grasshopper to a squirrel. Um, you know, I went to a uh, I grew up in a Pentecostal um, house of prayer church. So doilies, uh, skirts below the knees, no earrings, no lipstick. Um, and now, as you can see, I mean, they the, the folks listening won't be able to see because this is audio only, but on <laughs> camera, I'm like the total opposite. Braids, hmm. you know, we didn't wear braids and tattoos and I have like nine of For, them. So I can I can attest, Fleur's put together. We would say thank it's you. flawless. Not put together, oh, flawless. Okay, I you. didn't want to go down. I think that would have been too weird if I just said that. Yes. <laughs> it wouldn't I have been. I, I, it wouldn't uh, have been wrong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> bring it on. Bring it on. 
But no, so, you know, I'm the total opposite. And so I'm with you, Ty, the organized religion. Um, it can be quirky and it can be scary for some because there's rules, but there's rules in how you drive. There's rules in, you know, if you live in a development, the types of signs you can have in front of your house. We live under rules. There are rules at work. And so I don't mind subscribing to rules of my religion. Um, I am a, uh, I I'm going to say, you know, they call a, uh, might say adult dealer. I am a Jesus dealer. I love Jesus. Shout out to my pastor, Donald Ashley of Star Hill, uh, Greater Life Christian Church right here in uh, Camden. And, mm -hmm. you know, I am a, a fervent believer of Jesus Christ. That is my background. And he has saved me. I was a teen mom, reckless young lady. And I'm very transparent about my background. I was pregnant with my son at 15. I have a 24 year old. I'm 40 now. He's 24. He saved my life, but God gave him to me for him to save my life. So I, you know, run in the streets, kind of just being reckless, um, you know, running with the wrong crowd, doing things I didn't have any business doing. And it was through his grace that I'm still here today. My son has graduated college, uh, cum laude, uh, HBCU, Del State with his with his four year degree. I have a double master's degree. I should be a statistic, really. I should be a statistic. And it's nothing but through the grace of God that has carried me to where I am now. And so I would never be able to turn my back on religion. However, spirituality is much more important than religion because I have to have a relationship with God. I have to be able to hear from him. I have to have discernment. I have to spend quiet time with him so that he can speak to me and guide me and say what not to say and when to hush and when not to allow my flesh to rise. So, you know, that's my background. Um, I love the Lord. That's just that's just who I am. And so, you know, in these spaces that we navigate in the state and even with the NAACP, we start and I can tell you we start with prayer. First thing we do when I open a meeting, we start with prayer. And when we end, we end with prayer. And sometimes if I can find somebody on the call, sing a little bit of this because it just sets the tone and it sets the mood. And when I subscribe to that down home feel, I just feel like nothing can go wrong when I, when I don't in, in, encompass um, my love of Christ and just how, you know, he set me free and turned my life around. So. Yeah. Can I add argue with God too? Cause I argue with him a lot. It's me. He's so you don't want to listen to him. Right. We oh. don't want to listen when he tells us to do something. You like, He's like, go apologize to that person or go, you know, it's something I have to do tomorrow that I really don't want to do that. He's been working on me, telling me that I need to do. Um, just to let you know, I had an experience at a, a department store this week and the lady at the department store was just really rude and nasty to me. And, you know, I gave it to her in a nice way. I didn't cuss or fuss, but I gave it to her in a nice way. And for the last two days, it's been pressing me and I know it's nothing but the Holy Spirit that I need to go back to the store call and see if she's at work and go back to the store and go speak to that young lady and she's a young lady probably 20 if that old and have a conversation with her um, and apologize can't make her apologize for her bar part but apologize for my part in that because I am human and that's part of being a leader being able to serve as well and being able to recognize faults and being able to fix them being the change we want to see within other people so yeah we're releasing tomorrow a uh podcast about sort of like the, the gilded age and reconstruction and i've been thinking a lot about um john brown because he was able to really believe in something beyond himself. Now, he was an extremely religious, you know, obviously evangelical, sort of like people thought he was crazy. And he was, but but he had a belief that, like, was was more than himself. And that, I, I don't think I could be a class trader, like we talked about earlier, if I didn't, if I believed that, like, I'll put it this way. At the end of the conversation we had with Richard White, we were we were talking about this idea that people in the Gilded Age had of like cooperation and competency about like having enough and it not really being about like the individual. It wasn't about fulfilling like trying to maximize your individual output or make as much money as you could make. 
or like self-actualize, like you have to like actualize the self or whatever. I, I, I don't think like you don't you don't have to do that. And I think the, le the less you do it, the better advocate and organizer you are to try to like imagine the way the world could be. And I felt like while I don't while I now I understand how the Bible uh, became the Bible. Like I thought that was really important to understand like how this book came together and who possibly wrote it and how it was put. Like I thought that that like was important and I, and it was important to know, but I thought that that meant something about religion and actually it didn't. Mm -hmm. That's kind of where I'm coming from. Like that's, that's, that's the struggle that I've been having with like spirituality. People use that's very trite, like almost like a cliche thing to say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual but I don't know how to explain it to people. So I use like a bunch of words like I just did. Uh, but yeah, like I don't, I, it, without, um, without sort of giving up to this idea that there's something more important than my own self-actualization because in the grand scheme of things, my self-actualization is meaningless, really. And so that's the part of the religious experience that I I feel like I needed that I didn't, I wasn't open to. And so that's why it's interesting when I talk to, and, and still like a lot of activists and frankly, you know, you have, I have to be honest. A lot of white activists and organizers are not religious. And a lot of them are, are atheists to the point of being like a little bit annoying. Like I used to be and, and, and having trouble standing in solidarity with people that come from a church tradition. For example, I know a lot of people like that. And I think that's something that we need to figure out how to, how to, uh, how to break. Absolutely. You know what I, you know what I mean? Yes. I mean, you must yeah. run into that all the time. I do. And you know, it's really interesting because, you know, we have so many of these social spaces and organizations that do similar work, but we operate. I was just talking about this at a branch meeting the other night. We work in silos because maybe my mission for my organization is a little bit different from your mission, but at the grand scheme of things, we're all working towards the same goal. So if we're in an activism space or a community space, we need to really put aside the areas where we don't agree because where we do and what we're trying to accomplish is so much larger than that. And so when we really think about what we're trying to do, which is build a coalition amongst marginalized groups of people, whether it be LGBTQ or aging adults or immigrants, whether they're documented or not, um, you know, um, Americans with disabilities, you know, th those people in those groups are at the helm of what our work is. What difference does it make what our religious or spiritual background is? When we bring our experience and our love and our passion to the table, we need to be able to do more of that. And let me tell you why I say that, because when I look around and I look at the intentional cultural norms and policies um, of oppression for people of, of people of color and other marginalized groups, you know, we don't like the stereotypical labels that are placed on us. Um, and that's what we work so hard to dismantle, right? But then we turn around within our own community and we label people based off of what they believe or who they believe when we're all working to a common goal. So, you know, we're doing it to ourselves. So what happens to being the change you want to see? Preach, Madam President. <laughs> you know I will. <laughs> yeah, Ty almost jumped out of her chair. On yes. That. Yeah, she and... did. <laughs> For those listening to you at home, Ty is jumping up and down. Yes. Right <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Ty, you're... you're what what is your? I mean, you're not uh, you're not putting on your 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 Sunday hat, your church crown, and going out every Sunday, right? And like, you're not you're not doing that. But you're but you're um you're able to stand in solidarity. Like you you get it though. So because I'm focusing on, I feel like God has called me because He said that Ty. So when I decided not to be a minister anymore, the last time I preached, my last thing I preached on was integrity. Okay, I know it's really funny to think of me as a preacher, but I, I really was. That's kind of good attitude. Yeah, so it how, doesn't surprise well, well, me, actually. Thank you. Yeah, thank no, it doesn't you. because of what I, I think because of the way I think. Like I can understand how somebody who has that nature, that feeling, would do that. But where, mm -hmm. where, where were you a were preacher? Under what circumstances? Like how long ago? Give me, you got to give me more fucking details. <laughs> United Fellowship <laughs> Ministries Apostle and Prophetess Boyd. 
listen. So Pastor Vaughn at the time, so what happened was, is I my, I was preaching on my last time I preached. I did not want to preach. I literally left my Bible at home. I showed up to church late because he said in the minister's meeting this time he, he's going to pick somebody. I already knew he's going to pick me. I don't know. Maybe it's God telling me. So, and I knew it was going to be my last time preaching. And the reason why I said I knew it was going to be my last time preaching is because n- nothing to do with them per se. I knew, like, you know how like, you know that your time has expired. And I knew they wasn't going to agree. So that last time I preached, I preached on integrity. You could have heard a pen, like, listen, it wasn't a sound <laughs> in place, okay? I literally was preaching, da-da-da-da-da, and I stopped, and I'm like, okay, it's time for prayer. I knew it was going to be a hard thing, but I knew that was my exit. Pastor Vaughn got on the phone with me. He was like, you can't sit down, blah, 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 and I said, I am sitting down. Because I felt like at that point, I had outgrown my welcome. Hmm. So I don't believe that God's going to call you into a space where everybody agrees and you're not, you're the only one who disagrees. Okay. Because I feel like there's a time and a place for everybody. So had that place not been available, I may have never been a preacher mm-hmm. and gone on to do other things. You understand what I'm saying? So I knew it was my time to move, whether anybody else agreed or not. And so outside of that space, it gave me way more freedom to preach, be a decent fucking human. I don't care about how much ties you play. I don't care about X, Y, Z. What I do care about is how you treat fucking people you can see that are breathing. Okay. Mm -hmm. And within the church space, I didn't have that space. And so I felt like my job was on the outside of the church because I was getting migraines trying to be nice and tell people stuff nicely. Like I literally was getting migraines, literally. I was like, listen, I need to be somewhere where I could be myself. Because I need to tell you, you're a fucking dummy. That's not how you treat people. You're not going to, I don't care how much you pay in tides. If you can't love thy neighbor, nothing else Ooh. should do matter. Ooh. Nothing. Go in, okay? go in, go in. And since you mm. can't go in the pulpit and say fucking, I couldn't be in the church. I mean, what's the, was, <laughs> this is something that, that, uh, that, that speaks to me. Was it that you wanted to, to use curse words and they, and, and, and you were saying, well, you I like my word. Let me ask you this. Are you not a, are you not a preacher or pastor anymore because you were canceled? Have you been canceled? No, actually I wasn't canceled. <laughs> they would actually bring me, they would let me come back. So listen, as a funny thing as this, I didn't start, I didn't start cussing until I stopped preaching, which is funny. Cause I felt like my words needed seasoning. They need emphasis. Oof. You know what I mean? I felt like I needed to be able to talk to people where they were at. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm animating. So I needed people to understand that, listen, I don't care how much you pay in tithes. You understand what I'm saying? If somebody's gay and you think that's a reason for them to be killed, you're not a decent human. Okay? So I need to be able to say, when you want to come at me, I need to come at you just as hard as you did. And I can't do that while I'm wearing a long skirt. You know what I mean? Going, thou shalt overcome. Now, I'm not saying there's a time and place for everywhere, but I felt like I needed to be in the mud. That was... Well, I think that's important. You know, Fleur mentioned the, uh, about just the, the, you know, went down a, a, a list of like uh, of issues that we're always talking about, of justice issues and equality, uh, you know, egalitarian issues. It's about LGBTQ, all of this, stuff. like in, in the black church or in all churches, there's there's going to be there's going to be a conflict about that. But there's also going to be conflict about that kind of stuff in a labor union. And so you have to let people who are sort of coalescing around an idea work those things out. That's how those things get worked out, I think. And, I, you know, I, that, that's my, you know, so, you know, you, you sort of left a church that maybe wasn't um, as, as. It active. wasn't a church. I'm going to say it like this. It wasn't a church. I'm going to be very clear with that. Okay. Uh, okay. I see. Now because this is I funny. Feel- Yes, I, want to I, just, I just want to say, just as a little, as a caveat, this sounds shady, very shady. No, I, I want to say, listen, listen, I want to make sure it wasn't a church. It wasn't a church because the like guy said they do good work. And just because it's my time is expired does not mean what they're doing for people. Those people needed it. You understand what I'm saying? Like I made good connections. I met people. I would have probably never been invited into anybody's pulpit under other circumstances. You know, I went to Bible college. So there was a lot of things that good that came from there. So I don't want to knock that. So I feel like that God, I'm going to let God do his work. Okay. My work just mm-hmm. wasn't there. And the reason why I said that is because like, I feel like God made me a certain kind of way for a reason, because being in the church and under those constraints, I couldn't be my full self. 
And there's lots of people who can be other people, but there's not a lot of people who can be like me, who, like, I was built. I've never had a, a, a cheer squad. I was my own cheer squad. You know what I mean? I can go stand in solidarity with somebody because I don't have an image to maintain or protect. The only image I have is tie. And I felt like, you know, you sometimes you got to know that God needs people in certain spaces, but he needed me to get developed to a certain point and then be confident to go out in the trenches because he has evangelists in trenches. The Bible's not pretty. When he was mm. he said prostitutes, he said she was a prostitute. She didn't say she used to be a prostitute. He said she was tricking right now. That's what he said. And I think a lot of times people like to gloss over those parts. You know what I mean? So he needed Ty to go out in the mud and be tied because that's how I could be most effective. And people from them churches to this day still call me. So it might have worked. Yeah. And you know, that's a good point that you're making because people love transparency. Like for me, every time you see me, I have youth around me, particularly young girls. They love being around me because I'm true with them. I'm real. I'm honest. I'm raw. I'm transparent. Telling them what you can do, what not to do. But if you do do that, let me tell you that there's redemption and there's hope. And so, you know, people don't want the perfect glorified story. They want someone real rugged and raw who's been through and are able to, you know, um, overcome crisis and overcome, you know, all types of challenges. And I think that as believers, me, me, me specifically as a believer, um, when I apply biblical teachings and, and, and history to my life, you know, I know that when Jesus walked the earth, you know, he wasn't walking the earth amongst the perfect people and he did not judge or, ca or, or chastise people. He walked in love and he was friendly. So now the church kind of is moving away, not all churches, but we're, we're, we're kind of creating a custom where people don't even feel comfortable being able to come into the church as themselves, dress the way that they feel comfortable dressing because there's an overall judgment tone. But when we allow God to enter our hearts, and allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate us, he will teach us how to walk and how to talk and how to change. But if we're, we, the church, who are the people, are not making people feel welcome, and we're only preaching the message of, of God and, and to people who are already in the church, they know it. They got it. We have to go beyond the walls of the church and teach the people outside. Um, and so that's where I feel, you know, where we're losing and missing the mark with the organized religion. And trust me, I love my Sunday services. I love to tune in in person or online. I curse a little bit. I casually drink. Um, I love trap music. I mean, I am not the model Christian and my pastor will probably be listening to this. And Pastor Donald, I'm sorry. You probably know this about me already, Come but on, I'm couple. striving. I'm striving to get there. Couple little sips and some trap music. I mean, that's come on. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a trap music. Do you know I went to a I was accidentally went to a trap house? We'll come back to that story. Uh, uh, we'll come back to it. I feel like anything I say now, I was like trap house. You're like, oh, I ran a trap house. I did I that. Remember. Yeah, I'm like, Ty, what are you what's happening? Ties is, is simple, apparently, because so you, were, you, were, you were you were you were you were you were in the trap. You were in there. You saw the fucking you saw the deal. So hi, well, how are you getting yourself into these situations? Well, you were married to a drug dealer, right? Oh, uh, you were married, but she just said she didn't know. I so I, um, I would assume if you walked into in, in there and you know you saw you know loaded I nine millimeters on a table and they're counting cash, you understand? No, you I never. I didn't know. I never saw it. I didn't even see the signs. Uh, yeah, I never saw it. He was like, how did you not know? Dude, I would, honestly, I'd never, he had, the the, the, the vector was the one who showed me what, I wouldn't know what it was either. And I saw my first crack smoking act long after I, anyway, we don't want. I mean, look, I, I've, I've actually. Oh, told, I, always had the trap I have not, I have not. No, I mean, look, uh, that's another thing. I've had my <laughs> own trials and tribulations with, you know, all manner of hard drugs. Hey, they're fun. You just have well, to be I've never careful. Seen them. Yeah, you're talking no, about now, a class trader. I've I mean, you said them. you saw. You said the cop showed. You said this is crap. Oh yeah, he had to show because, like. I, but I didn't even. He was like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "Give me a hint." You're trying <laughs> to say you didn't know it. You didn't know that was wow. crack rock. Come on. No, it was it was a sheet. Like, well, I don't know if it was a sheet, oh. but it was like like, See, like this big. But like I oh, told really? him, I didn't even have a frame of reference. I've never seen it. You, if you notice, yeah. they've never shown it whole on TV. You know what I mean? So like, I didn't have a clue what it was. You know, and that's what the thing. Like people think because you're black, you know what drugs look like. I mm. haven't seen any in my life. That's you know? not even. 
And so, like, the dude, the first dude, it was a white dude who showed me crack smoking, okay? A white dude showed like, me crack smoking, too. But listen, he had a he had a, a, a can, and he poked a hole in it, right? And he's like, is it okay if I do this? I'm like, do what? And so he he does it, and I'm Googling it. Because <laughs> I'm a nerd. Oh, God. Typical. Oh, I Google I... it, right? So I go, oh, my God, you're smoking crack? I said, you're crack smoking? And he was like, you've never seen nobody smoke crack? I'm like, where do you find people smoking crack? Like, I've never seen anybody smoke crack. And I'm 40 years yeah. old at this point. So he's almost choking. I'm like, don't die crack, smoke crack. Because um, this is going to be a hard story to explain how you died smoking crack. And I didn't even know. Like, but I'd never seen it before. That's an assumption. Everybody has not seen crack smoking. Well, I mean, you can, I mean, not that, well, I wouldn't know. Like, look, here's, a, here's, <laughs> here's the public service announcement. <laughs> I try to abide by the words of the great Hunter S. Thompson. I, I never, ever recommend hard drugs to anybody. Anybody. But they've always worked for me. Oh, okay. Well, so I can say I've only smoked crack two times. Hmm. Both times. It was incredible. <laughs> it was absolutely <laughs> incredible. Oh, God. I mean, everything they say about it is true. It is the shit. Now, again, by saying about it. again, I, I, I don't know what to, I don't know. how I don't really know how to always handle that information. I've, I gave my public service announcement. You know, I, I don't I'm not it's not a recommendation. I'm not suggesting that anyone do this. Um, I, 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 I wouldn't I actually probably wouldn't ever again. Like, I'm not ever I'm not looking to do it ever again. I'm just telling you, it's it's uh, I mean, when they say that it's good, they're not lying. We'll just say that. I was traumatized. Literally, like I'm like, let me out the car. I just smoked it out of a glass pipe. If I saw somebody smoking something out of a fucking coffee can, I think I'd have I'd have freaked out too. I was I was. He said, "Much." Then he had nerves to give me advice, like you know, you put a little water, you gotta put some ashes, and oh, they had all like the thing, and they're telling you how to do it. Let me out the car. Oh my gosh. Like, what if we get pulled over? We was in the driveway, but I'm like, what if we get pulled over? What if cops pull up? And and I live in the hood, which makes it even worse because he he just assumed that I. Ty, here, here's what's funny. Uh, <laughs> Fleur, Fleur said earlier, she was like, uh, "My pastor's probably listening to all this." Yes, sorry, sorry. Ooh, Lord. but I did just say, I just say, Pastor Don, Pastor Don, we're all sinners here. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I did tell him not. We're to. Just doing it. We're just doing our best. We're just yeah, doing I told him not to. Doing our best. Yeah. Oh God, what do you? So what? <laughs> we need a part two to this. Obviously. Oh, no. <laughs> I do want to get to this. This is perfect. So we'll wrap it up. We're, we're going on in a, almost an hour. So this is this is good because what I what I really want to know is you gave me the four pillars. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see if I remember what they are. Agitate, Ag educate, uh, educate. Oh, mobilize and organize. Organize. And yes, mobilize. you got it. You yeah. got it. Because I, I, I was going to say agitate, but I always say threaten because I'm always I always have to take another <laughs> thing. That's why I was like, well, I, I would say threaten, but it wasn't threatened. So I knew that. Uh, but how so um, what sort of projects are you working on? What kind of organizing you're doing? I know you're collaborating with uh, with our, our main uh, Kent County organizer. The, the Taisha. There she is. Yeah, yes, she. the great. Taisha. But uh, so what kind of stuff are you working on? Uh, who are you collaborating with? And also, like, how can people in Kent County uh, get involved? We are working on a bunch of things. We are working on so many great projects. I think I'm most proud of our educational equity, um, you know, work that we're doing because what we're trying, we really want to equalize learning outcomes in Title I schools and in underserved um, schools throughout Delaware. That's one of the things because we know the intersectionality of uh, poor education, and then crime, and then poverty. And so we start at the root, as, as Frederick Douglass so eloquently said, if we work to raise good boys and girls, then we don't have to work so hard to try to rehabilitate men and women. And we haven't spent enough time with our youth. And this is something that we want to go to our legislators and elected officials and other folks and say, hey, we need grant funds, we need programs, that are going to support these youth and give them the life skills and the resources that they need at an early age. So we're not spending tons of money um, in school to prison pipeline initiatives, right, to try to rehabilitate them then when it's too late. 
So that's number one. Um, our education chair, Dr. Terry Hodges, is amazing. And she is, um, you know, building and collaborating with different um, LEAs, uh, local education um, agencies throughout the Kent County area. Um, and hopefully we will become, uh, I, I think, a model agency across the, the state and hopefully the region um, when we're all when it's all said and done. Our political action team, which Ty is on, is doing some wonderful work vetting and trying to build political power to let people know that the, the power of their vote, not just in general large elections like the one we just had, obviously, but even in the local and state elections, which really have the most direct and immediate impact on us, right? Because those are the elections that literally, as soon as you know, people are in office, they affect us. It trickles down to us much quicker than the federal elections. And so um, we want people to know you need to show up in droves for those elections as well. And why? Educating them on the issues. Um, empower economic empowerment, huge. Again, intricately linked to um, poor education and crime is poverty. So how do we empower our community? Um, so working with organizations um, like um, Network Delaware, working with organizations like the Urban League, working with um, our state conference and our other partners all up and down the state, as well as uh, throughout the nation to be able to build economic empowerment. We have a really cool, which I won't say just yet because it's not finalized, but we have a really, really uh, good partnership with a local Delaware uh, Kent County uh, business. Um, that we're going to be popping off next week. And I'm hoping we'll lead the way for other businesses that will be willing to come on board and support the NAACP in a way that we can issue grants to, um, you know, uh, well-performing students that live in underserved communities and such to get them prepared for college. Working with um, Delaware State University, we have a chapter on the campus at Delaware State University. Building, um, you know, youth empowerment is really, really important. So those are just a couple of the things that we're doing and really just building our base. And I tell my members all the time, we don't just want you to get a membership and have a card and say, hey, I'm a member of the NAACP. No, we want you to work boots on the ground. It takes the collective work of all of us to do this work. And we can't have two or three people doing it all. We need two, 300 people, really, or even two, 3,000 if we could have that many to help um, and assist in the different various areas. So those are some of the kind of the high um, and critical areas, high topic areas that we're working on right now. And um, health equity, huge issue. Black and brown people suffer from um, different um, diseases at higher rates than other um, uh, races. And we need to figure out why we need research and we need to be able to address the socioeconomic um, issues that kind of contribute to those inequities and those disparities and try to figure out how we're going to equalize those outcomes, especially amidst this COVID-19 pandemic, even when it comes down to equalizing how the vaccines are being distributed in underserved communities. So we're working on that. Um, so those are just some of the high ticket items that we're working on right now. I can talk about this all day. This is my passion. This is my life work. The core of what I do centers around people who are paid the most. If you are at, at the center of the pain, that you're who we need to be at the table with talking Hello. to. You are who we need to be talking to. Yeah, I'm just so inspired by so much that's happened over the last few years and just seeing, um, you know, you talking about uh, cooperating with uh, education organizations and small businesses and network and the urban league. And I know Ty is uh, completely wrapped into that. Um, and also, and also, uh, you know, a new DSA chapter. Um, I, I just, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to fall into optimism or pessimism, but yeah, it's really inspiring to see that, that, solidarity starting to build and and people be, be, because really um you know as ty said with her uh with her church uh, as, as you said with uh your activism you know you're gonna have to go up against power structures and if you're worried about making like your one thing like the one thing that everybody goes to as and, and you're in competition with the other things then that's worthless as far as I know. Like if we're going up against real power structures and people who give a lot of money or they know the, all the people who, you know, make all the decisions, um, you know, trying to make your one organization the coolest, bestest thing uh, at the at the at the expense of all of the other ones uh, is not going to work. It's actually ridiculous. 
And again, that's why I'm, I was so interested about how some of these issues get um, hashed out in churches because it's the same it's the same kind of thing. Like we have to figure out where we can utilize each other, where we can cooperate, um, where we can leverage sort of political pressure points too. Because um, we don't talk too much about that, and I'm glad you know local politics is great, but it's more helping the person we want to center. You know, the person who's suffering, the person who uh, is having you know the, their material conditions are going to dictate how we're going to organize. And so, yeah, I just think it's 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 fantastic. I'm, I'm and one very, other thing I want to throw in there is uh, criminal justice reform. That is so huge, especially in for you. Yeah, I, I'm like, how did I forget that? Because I'm that's I was like waiting. the core of some of the work that we have been doing is police reform and criminal justice reform. I actually had the opportunity the week before last to go to Dover PD and uh, facilitate a cultural diversity training for their graduating class. They graduated last week. Because uh, we have some serious issues um, across the nation, obviously, but in King County, we have some serious issues, policing issues. And, you know, I want to be on the right side of justice. And so for me, building relationships with police are important to be able to try to build reform. But at the same time, you know, we have to be able to call out our brother or sister when things are just not going right. And that's a part of having a relationship. And so those are things that we're also working on, um, even amongst COVID, trying to support House Bill 37 and, you know, allowing uh, low level offenders who have comorbidities or more susceptible to contracting COVID-19 out if they have less than a year's worth of time or what have you um, left. Those are the types of things when we talk about uh, restorative and transformative justice, those are the things that we're looking to accomplish. Those are the things that we have to demand. We're no longer asking or begging. We are demanding those things to happen because oppressed people and the history of our nation has never been able to go to their oppressor and say, can I please? And will you give me, you have to take it. You have to take it. So. And on that note, Floor has unofficially agreed to be part of Ty's Dear Dummy segment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So you want to explain the Dear Dummy segment? That's going to be our segment of when we come to talk about situations that have to do with politics and for people who just don't get it. Yeah, so basically there are people who are just, they're very dense. You would say they're obtuse. And we're going to, yeah, we're going we're gonna to find them and then Ty is going to explain to them in simple language to, to fucking shape up, you know, straighten up. We don't want to hear this anymore. Um, yeah, that's, that's what it's all about. And don't look to your left and don't look to your right. Look in the mirror. It's yes. you. The change begins with you. We all can do something. We all can't do everything, but one person can do one thing. And when you put that together... It is powerful. It is awesome. We can do it. Everyone has to come to the table and be willing. We're not meant to be bystanders. We were not created to stand by idly and let these injustices fold, uh, out, out, you know, unfold and outplay in our society. That's just not what we were created to do. Floor, thank you so much for doing this. Thank um, you for having me. I'm pumped. Um, you guys will both be back because we have to, there's a lot, there's a lot about Ty. We're going to have to interrogate. I'm telling you for real. (laughs) She's talking about like a cave in Japan. Trap houses. Trap houses. (laughs) I mean, I'm like, whoa, whoa. She's like, well, when I was a, when I was a pastor, pastor. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) So I got a bunch of shit written down here. We're going to, we'll cover all that. All that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but no, I, 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 I think that there, it all boils down to this idea that there's a power structure that has to be. People don't have, uh, they're they're not, they're not using their imagination in a way that le- allows them to see the the, the change. Absolutely. All of the all of the horror and all of the pain and mm. uh, the 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 issues people have with their health care and uh, economic and job loss and all of it. They don't see a way out of it. They don't understand that we we made all of this. Mm-hmm. Everything you're seeing is not some sort of act. We made it all, mm-hmm. and we can make it all different. Yes. Um, but 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 we have to um, we have to stand in solidarity with each other, and we have to do a little bit of like um, of like killing the ego. Maybe going to church if that's what you're into. 
Hey. Exactly. And radically reimagining. We have to radically reimagine the society that we want to see, which would start with the non-selective government. Because this all kind of trickles down from the yes. selectiveness of government. So we radically reimagine what we can do and start holding our elected officials accountable. We vote them in, and then they're able to kind of sit by and glide by and straddle. No more straddling. Mm. Mm. No yeah. more straddling. We're calling them to the carpet to do what they were elected to do. Um, and so you're absolutely right. If we radically reimagine what we can do in society, we can get it done. We can get it done. And thank you again for having me. I really enjoyed myself. <laughs> uh, this was fun. Radical yeah. reimagination. Yes. That's it. Yes. Radical, Radical reimagination is the ultimate bunker mindset. There That's it. Yes. Folks, thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, we've just had we've just had ripper after ripper on the trot. These these episodes <laughs> have been just incredible uh if if you want to support our work here at the podcast it's on patreon the highlands bunker you know that it's on twitter at highlands bunker uh the delaware call uh we're ramping up we got a lot of cool stuff in the pipeline folks saw a lot of it today edited two pieces today that are going to be good multi-series fun stuff so you know look at all of our work Follow some of these great people. Find out how to get involved. We sort of talked about it today. Central and Delaware, NAACP.org. Central <laughs> Delaware, NAACP.org. Yes. And um, don't just don't bother with Ty. She's too busy. I was going to give all this up. She's too busy. She's in she's in trap houses. I'm at trap yeah. houses. She's diving out of she's diving out of, of infernos and in Japanese island on in caves. She doesn't have time. She doesn't have time for your nonsense. And uh, and Carl will hold it down where he needs to hold it down. Thank you, Carl. Super <laughs> Carl. Super Carl. Take it easy, everybody. Left is best. Woohoo! <laughs>